Welcome to the IH Podcast, where we profile fellows of the Institute for the Arts and Humanities here at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm Philip Hollingsworth, Coordinator for Faculty Programs. In this episode, I speak with Associate Professor of Women's and Gender Studies, Tanya Shields. In our conversation, Dr. Shields discusses how growing up in Guyana informs her current research. She also talks about another project as a dramaturge of Plantation Remix, a performative tour being produced by Crystal Chanel Truscott and Progress Theater. For more information, visit progresstheater.com slash plantation remix. But I am frazzled. You know, like I can't imagine if I had to teach on top of all the work I'm doing right now. Like, my gosh. What are you supposed to be doing during your leave right now? I'm supposed to be working on my second book project, oh, okay. which is about women who owned plantations in the U.S. South and the Caribbean. I hope to get to that before August. <laughs> now, would this be kind of like a, hist- a history focus? It is both history. Well, it is history and it's literature, but it's also I want to pivot to sort of contemporary relations. So... That's the three things I'm trying to smush together in one mm-hmm. book, and we'll see how it goes. So you do some literary studies as well? That's my training, actually. Okay. So I actually was a history undergrad. Okay. And I went back to graduate school in comp lit, oh, where okay. supposedly <laughs> I was merging literature and historical studies. I'm learning that the history part of it was not as solid as I had hoped because doing this project where I have to read archival documents, and I do some of that with my students, but to sort of fully understand the document, there's more I need to know. So I'm I'm definitely learning that process with friends who who are historians and trying to figure that out. What's something that you've had to learn about reading an archive or uh, yeah. Yes, yeah, something I've had from an archive, I suppose. <laughs> to learn about inventories. Okay. So on the face of it, an inventory is all the stuff somebody owned. And I'm like, okay, but, but what do I do with that? You know, how do I yeah. make sense of that to sort of cull from it information about a person's life? So that that's one document where – because I think when I in classes when I use archival documents, they're letters, they're diaries, they're things that sort of make sense – Mm-hmm. on their own, yeah. but in inventory, you know, she shrugs. <laughs> what to do with that? <laughs> <laughs> what, what would you say is your primary research focus? I would, I would say it's literary cultural analysis. My book, my first book, Bodies and Bones, is about sort of looking at creative work, particularly literature, but I also look at paintings and monuments to think through how can we better understand each other. So I'm really interested in empathy and how creative work can help us to have empathy for someone who's not ourself. I just find that if, if we have no mechanisms for helping us sort of use our compassion muscles, mm-hmm. and I really feel that art is one of those mechanisms to help us do that, that, that we're really at a loss and we frankly fail as as human beings if we're supposed to be developing and evolving if that I feel like that's a a really significant part of being a person on this planet is sort of understanding yourself certainly but learning to understand others aside from the book is there anything else that you're working on right now as a matter of fact yes I have been invited to be a dramaturge on a project called plantation remix 
that the Houston-based Progress Theater is doing. And I'm really excited about it. It's a project where they are going to be doing site-specific installations looking at the plantation today and trying to figure out how to recuperate that space. So this space that is filled with sort of trauma and violence that people tour and enjoy in a certain way, they want to disrupt that. And I'm going to be part of that process, and I'm really excited about it. Yeah, so dramaturge, uh, I know the Spanish word, but I want to make sure it it translates well into one. Could you define that? Yeah. What's it in Spanish? Dramaturgo, just someone who <laughs> okay. writes plays. Right. I won't be writing the play. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Um, Crystal Truscott, who's the founder uh, and creative director of the Progress Theater, will be doing that. Basically, when we started talking about the project, I was sending her all this information about plantations, and she said it's, it's what you're already doing. It's helping build the context for the structure of the play. And I told her, you know, I'm not a historian. And she said, I don't want a historian. I want someone who's doing what you're doing. So, you know, I think of it as sort of um, in an advisory capacity. Okay. But I'm also looking forward to, to just sort of learning how a play is built from the ground up, especially this kind of play that wants to have um, an intervention in the world in a very specific Mm -hmm. way. So would this play be kind of a traditional, like on a stage, but in that site, or is it in the whole space? From what I understand, it's in the whole space. Okay. So one of the things that, that, one of the ideas that Crystal is playing with right now is how do you use the tour guide at these spaces? Mm. And... And she's trying to figure out a way both to sort of use the tour guide as a character, but also have the tour guide facilitate a discussion after theatrical intervention. Where in your research have you experienced this empathy that you were referring to earlier? I'll give a little bit of history to sort of answer that question. I was born in Guyana, South America. And Guyana is an English-speaking territory country on the continent of South America, but historically and culturally, we're like the rest of the English-speaking Caribbean because we were colonized by the British, and our, our historical and cultural trajectory resembles more the islands of the Caribbean than it does the nations of South America. Guyana and Trinidad are two of the places in the Caribbean that have huge populations of Indo-Caribbean people. And when I say Indo-Caribbean in that context, I mean people with Indian ancestry, as in from the subcontinent of India, not indigenous people who we call Amerindians. In Guyana and Trinidad, but particularly in Guyana, these two groups have been at each other's throats. There's violence amongst these groups. There are lots of tensions amongst these groups. And I think... Because, you know, I came to this country when I was eight. And part of what I was trying to figure out in my own schooling is, is who, has I, who am I as a Guyanese person? And to understand who am I as a Guyanese person, I felt I also needed to understand the Indo-Guyanese experience. So I think that is is one example, that is one experience of trying to understand the Indo-Guyanese experiences is one in which I had to situate myself in a world not of my own, in a world in which I think my, my own upbringing 
the the leanings are definitely more Afro-Guyanese, even though I have Indian people in my family, mm. that, you know, I understand, I live the sympathies of Afro-Guyanese people. So I had to go outside of myself to fully embrace and understand the sympathies of Indo-Guyanese people. Uh, what's a book that changed your life? I think there, there are lots of books that changed my life. And one that popped into my head just now is C.L.R. James's The Black Jacobins. And C.L.R. James, who is a Caribbean intellectual, originally from Trinidad, um, a Trotskyite, he was a, a writer, a thinker. He wrote about cricket. You know, he just really interesting life. But he also wrote about the Haitian Revolution. Oh, okay. And the Black Jacobins is his history of the Haitian Revolution that sort of reads like a novel. Yeah. He also wrote a play about the Haitian Revolution, which I talk about in my book, Bodies and Bones, that reads like history. But that book, I think I, I was startled by the the violence of that period. And I, and I think that level of shock stayed with me and made me want to know why people would do that to each other. What were the systems in place that made that happen, that made that normal? So I think, and it was about the Caribbean. So it it was a book right. that did all that in a space I was from that I, I hadn't known anything about. I'm also a huge fan of science fiction. <laughs> and, you know, actually, I should contextual. I'm not a huge fan. Like, I've met huge fans, and I am not them. Yeah. But I love Octavia Butler. And I remember reading Wild Seed, which was the first book I read by her, and you know, they say don't text and drive. I was reading and driving. Like, I could not <laughs> put the book down. So I think that was a book that changed my life in that, or, or that is one of my favorites because, you know, my brother and I used to watch Star Trek. And yeah. um, what was the other one? The one with Gil Gerard and all the lycra. <laughs> Buck Rogers in the 25th okay. century. And, the, you know, the space does, is space, the future was people in shiny suits and flashing lights. But we didn't really see black people. And right. even though Wild Seed is sort of set in the past and comes forward, I think, to the 19th, 20th century, the rest of Octavia Butler's work in which black people inhabited a future, particularly black women, were central. They were often the leaders of these multicultural communities that where yeah. you had to deal with your difference. So I, I think Octavia Butler's work isn't their favorites. What are some of your favorite moments in the classroom? As a teacher or as a student? As a teacher. teacher. That's a good question. Um, my favorite moments as a teacher. It could be specific I, or general. Or... I think some of my favorite moments are when students challenge each other. And sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, when they challenge me. Yeah. But um, I have to be in the mood for that. <laughs> I have yeah. to be in the right place. But um, I think when they find both the language and the presence of mind to say I disagree, and they're able to formulate the why. And sometimes it's messy. You know, they stumble through it. And I think I prefer the stumbling to the people who have, you know, it all sort of very neatly and nicely filtered. But I think those those are wonderful moments because you see a person grappling but also growing and coming into their own voice and testing that voice. 
So so that's always powerful. I think it's it's also powerful when people share their vulnerabilities. And and I think sort of part of my growth as a human being, I think when I was in college, being vulnerable to me was akin to weakness. Right. And I had to grow into the idea that actually, no, it takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable. And so when I when I am part of a space where students trust enough to share very personal things, and sometimes, you know, it's not even sort of the most dread things about them, but it, it, it might be something like, um, I don't eat regularly. You know, mm-hmm. th- it takes so much courage to basically say I'm poor. Right. You know, that I don't have the resources yeah. um, to find food. So it, it could be something just as simple as that, that uh, I find those moments particularly powerful. I mean, and of course, I find the moments powerful when they get whatever it is I'm talking about. I mean, that that's always um, enriching and rewarding. But, but I also find the moments where I see them come into whoever it is they're going to be. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Check back at ieh.unc.edu for the latest news on our fellows and upcoming events at Hyde Hall. You can find all our episodes of the podcast on our website as well as iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at IH underscore UNC.